Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right, Lost in Translation. That is what we are getting our new series today. We're going to be talking about different Bible words that you may have heard before, or you uh, may have never heard before, or you may have heard and had a totally different idea um, about what they meant. Um, I want to tell you a story about years ago when I took a mission trip to uh, Mexico, actually Ninos to Mexico. It's a mission we support here. It's a children's home outside of Mexico City, and now it's expanded to a couple of other cities in various parts of southern Mexico. Uh, but it's a really awesome place. And I took my youth group many, many, many moons ago when I was just but a young lad. And uh, we went to, at our break time that day, we crossed the street and we went to the little store, the little tienda right across the road. And, you know, you go in and you get to pick out your snacks and all that sort of stuff. And so there's this one girl, I love her to death. We still, we don't get to talk to her much anymore. But instead of being a teenage girl now, she's a mom and all that that tells you how old I am. Uh, you probably could look at me and tell that. But hey, I just figured I'd throw you a bone. But... So we go across the store, and she is uh, hilarious. She is a walking sitcom. Um, she was sort of like a female version of Kramer, if you might remember Kramer off Seinfeld. Like, she just busted into a room, hey, like that, you know, just, that was her. Um, and so we go across the store, and she's looking around. Everybody's picking out their different stuff. You know, they have, a, like, the amazing Coke down there. Uh, not cocaine, Coca-Cola. It's got the, all the natural sugar. I guess I figured I'd better clarify. Um, but it's, it's just that really everybody's getting their stuff. And she's looking around. She's puzzled. She finally goes up to the little lady who runs the store. The lady doesn't speak uh, any English that I'm aware of. And, and she goes up to her and, and she looks and she says, Do you have any water? And we're like, we're like what? And she's like, water. And you're like, you mean agua? And she's like, well, I just thought if you said it with a Spanish accent, she would be able to understand me. Yeah, yeah, that's all kinds of messed up. Yeah, she, I mean, had no ill intentions, but it was just hilarious. It stuck with me, and that's one of our favorite things when we see her this day. It's like, do you have any water? It's like, no, it's agua. It's like, everybody knows that word, even if you don't know any Spanish. I, you know, I'm not a fluent in Spanish, but I know agua. But here's the thing. A lot of times there are words that we use, and we don't exactly know what they mean. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. I'm going to show you a meme real quick. You'll keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And Nico Montoya, anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? Best all-time movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it, change your life. It's really good. Um, it is really good. Uh, but he says that because one of the other characters, uh, Benzini, is always going around and he's saying, uh, it's Wallace Shawn, you know, you know him from the voice of, in Toy Story of uh, the dinosaur and all that sort of stuff. He goes around saying what? Inconceivable. Inconceivable. He, I'm losing my voice inconceivable, inconceivable. And finally, he's like, that, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And there's a lot of words that we find in Scripture that maybe we think we know what it means, but we're not exactly hitting a home run on it. Maybe there's a word that we've lost or we have the wrong idea about or simply we're missing a little bit of depth. I think there's something that all of us can get out of this series. And so we start with a word today that honestly depending on what Bible translation you've read or if you've never really been to church much, um, you may have never even heard this word. You may have never heard it before. And today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, it, it's a great word to start with. 
Because it gets our minds focused on what's so vitally important. And we've been focusing on the cross and the events that lead up to it this week. And following up to that after that day, this word is a great beginning for the series. It's a word, propitiation. Propitiation. It's a mouthful. I love this word. I learned about it in Bible college. I'd never heard it before. I basically grew up in church but went away from God for a long time. But I never had heard this word until I get to Bible college. And some of my friends that were really artistic, they made a t-shirt and like hoodie company. And they called it propitiation. And I've loved it ever since. And they made this really awesome hoodie that I would still love. I would fight a raccoon to get that thing back. I mean, I wish I could find it. It was this amazing hoodie that had this cool like old English style font maybe propitiation on it. And the word means this, an offering that takes away wrath. An offering that takes away wrath. And so it's translated differently in different versions of the Bible, depending on which one you look at. So you may have never even heard it. But we want to talk about it today, and it comes from a Greek word, or at least a, a series or a family of words, that's something to the effect of hilasteron in many different forms. And, and it comes out to be propitiation, an offering that takes away wrath. And in most of the world's cultures... You know, if you follow other gods back from old ancient times, especially you had the Baals and the Asherahs and all the different Molech and all these different gods, that word was commonly used. And with the Greeks, it would be used because they thought there was this angry god that was up there just waiting to, you know, smite and destroy, right? And he was just waiting or she was waiting to just bring the smack down. And so you had to give an offering that takes away wrath. And we all know, if you know a little bit about history and you know a little bit about mythology, you know that many times they would give their children even, not, not just mythology, but in real life they would sacrifice their children to appease these evil, wicked gods. And so it's a weird thing to think about the God of the Bible and propitiation, but there's, it's a much deeper word than just trying to appease a wicked, angry God. You know, when relationships get broken, and I, are y'all aware that relationships get broken? <laughs> they get broken a lot, right? When they get broken, a lot of times we think the one who does the offending is the one that needs to go and make things right. Is that fair? That's a pretty common belief. Are y'all awake? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fair that most people consider that, right? The one that does the offending should go and try to make things right. You know, you broke my, um, I'm not a skater by any stretch, but you broke my skateboard, um, so you go and you make it right. You give me money to fix my skateboard, you know? You uh, get off my lawn, you mess up my lawn, you gotta pay to get it reseated, right? That's what it is. You made the mistake, you broke the relationship, so you've got to fix the problem. And, and we think like that in our relationships, you know, we think about, if I'm going to even to begin to think about forgiving them, they better come begging and crawling back to me. You ever worded that phrase before or something similar? Some of y'all are brave enough to admit it. The rest of y'all are liars. <laughs> and you're chicken. You know, we've all said that. We've all thought that. We've all felt that. You know, if they even want to think about me looking at them, much less spitting on them, they better come crawling on their belly. You might not have used those phrases, but you might have had that feeling in your heart. I'm going to make them beg a little bit. I'm going to make them stew. I'm going to make them burn. I'm going to turn the heat up a little bit and make them really earn this forgiveness that I might give them. And the problem is we still don't truly forgive a lot of times, do we? We say the words, I forgive you, but a lot of times it's through clenched teeth, right? I forgive you. I forgive you. And what do we do then a lot of times? 
We watch their behavior every step of the way. And the minute it looks like they're going to cross the line, what do we do? I see, I told you. And, and we jump all over them, right? Am I the only one that does that? I know, yeah, we struggle with it. And so we want to forgive, but we don't know how. And so this idea of an offering that takes away wrath is like, yeah, you better do something for me. And in conflicts between two sinful people or two sinful parties, sure, that might be the way to do it. The person who does the offending tries to go and make it right. But in the case of one sinless deity and sinful people, it's not the way it works. Because I want you to get this truth. There's nothing we can do to appease the wrath of a perfect God. Bummer, bad news, sorry, see you later. No, it's never the end of the story with Jesus. But there's nothing that we can do to appease the wrath of a perfect God. You know, the, the true gut-wrenching, honest gospel is that one sin is enough to separate us from God for all eternity and as messed up as that seems like he is perfect and he is without sin and then no matter how many good things you do after it's not enough to erase that one bad thing and let's be honest most of us are really professionals at sinning aren't we I hold a few world records you know? <laughs> and so it's not just one sin it's multiple and hundreds and thousands and maybe even millions of sins and so there's nothing we could ever do to make it up and erase those things. We might stop one day and never sin again, but we still got our sin on us. And so that's a huge problem. But not when Yahweh's involved. If you go back and listen, if you haven't been here and listened to a, a series we started, at, it actually ended up being in February, we talked about Yahweh, God has a name, and we talked all about His mercy and His grace, and I encourage you to go back and listen to those, or even listen to them again, because Yahweh is the name that we're given in the Old Testament for God, and when Yahweh's involved, He's not some temperamental, vengeful deity like Baal. Yahweh and Jesus are different. And if you don't get anything else in your mind, you probably came in here knowing that, but I want you to leave beyond a shadow of a doubt knowing that Jesus, that, that Yahweh, the Father God, the Holy Spirit are different. They are not like these vengeful gods like we read in mythology that we look at in history that people worship. But i got to be real. At first glance, when you read the Old Testament, you look at some of those things and you think, I don't know if I agree with you. Yahweh looks a little vengeful. And that's why I would encourage you to go back and listen to our message series, God Has a Name, because you'll get really in-depth with that. But look a little deeper at what we see in the Old Testament. You see, when Yahweh made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, he splits the animals in half, and it was a, it was a known idea at that time. When you make an agreement, a covenant, you would split these animals in half, and both parties would walk through. And what you were saying is, if one of us breaks this covenant, then what happened to these animals should happen to us. It's a little bit different than getting turned over to collections, isn't it? <laughs> Cut in half is pretty serious. But in this particular case, when Yahweh makes this covenant with Abraham, he cuts the animals in half. Abraham cuts these animals in half, and he puts Abraham into this deep sleep. And in this dream, this vision, whatever it is, Yahweh walks in the form of a, a big kettle. He walks through both halves and never makes Abraham do it. What he's saying is, is you can't hold up your end of the bargain. 
He's saying, so I'm going to do it for you. And if I were to break this covenant, may it happen to me. Or better yet, if you break this covenant, may it happen to me. A little foreshadowing. And so even back then, it was this compassionate, this grace-filled encounter. And Abraham couldn't bear the price. And I can't either, and neither can you. We can't hold up our end of the bargain. And then once the law came in in the Old Testament, you know, Mount Sinai and, you know, the cloud and the Ten Commandments come down and it's a crazy whole story. It looks like the Israelites, they had to go and they had to grovel with sacrificial animals so God would love them. You know, if you just sort of take a 30,000 foot view and you don't get down deep in what it is, you look at it, it's like, well, they had to, for everything, they had to bring an animal. They had to bring a, a pigeon, a goat, a, a sheep, you know, a bull. They had to bring all these different animals and sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And it looks like it's a groveling thing. But hold up for a second. Who sinned? The people or the animals? You see, the animals didn't sin. The animals were sinless. But God set it up that the animals would die in the place of the people, even though they deserve to die themselves. And so it's always been about an innocent one paying the price for a guilty one when it comes to God in our relationship. Everybody with me? It's always been grace. It's always been us getting reprieve from something we deserve or getting something we don't deserve. And then on the Ark of the Covenant, on the Ark of the Covenant, that box where the, the presence of God would dwell, and it had this, you know, if you've watched Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you get a general idea of what it might look like. You remember that movie? You know, it had these angels, these cherubim, with their wings pointed towards the middle. And on the top of that box, that seat, it was called the mercy seat. And guess what word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament there? Hilasterion. Propitiation is the mercy seat the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And listen to a few things really quickly. Exodus 25, beginning in verse 17. God says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim, those little angel-type figures, little cherubs, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat, of the propitiation lid, if you will. Exodus 30, verse 6. It says, and you shall put in front of the veil that is above the Ark of the Testimony, this, this same box, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. So there's a big veil that keeps everybody from the presence of God except one person. Leviticus 16, verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside that veil before the mercy seat that is on the Ark so that he may not die. Aaron was the chief priest. He was the only one who could come into behind that veil one time a year to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people and go near that mercy seat. That veil was thick. And when you think veil, don't think like old school wedding veil, you know, where you can like see, you know, the bride a little bit through there. This was like a huge thick curtain that it was said that an ox could be tied to either end and they couldn't rip it apart. Pulling as hard as they could, they couldn't rip it apart. This was the veil that kept uh, everybody out all the time and the high priest out except for one time a year. He goes on, it says, so that he may not die for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So God would come and dwell over the mercy seat, that place of propitiation. In verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering 
that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil to do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So we take the blood of these innocent animals and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and he was saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Don't punish us for what we've done. Take this innocent blood. So there was a veil. There was the fear of death. There was blood. I mean, so much blood. It would be really, it's not something our 2022 minds can really handle. We don't think of it like that. It was so close to God, yet they were so far away. And you know, this might really sound like a wrathful, vengeful God, but I want you to look closer, okay? Everybody sort of lean in mentally. He was saying, there has to be a price paid for your sin. He's saying, I can't simply look the other way because I am a good God. I am perfect. And I cannot allow people to just be hurt and sin to be committed and lives to be destroyed without allowing some sort of price to be paid. There has to be a distance between us. There has to be this veil for a little while. And then came Jesus. This is a good time to wake up. <laughs> then came Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene. It seemed like a long, long time, but in the mind of God, it was just a blink of an eye. This 1,500 years, Jesus comes on the scene, and the picture became a little bit clearer. Jesus is the propitiation, the offering that takes away wrath. For many years, it was these innocent animals, and it seemed horrible that they would die, but he was trying to get their minds wrapped around an idea. Here it is. You deserve wrath, but you don't have to get it. Everybody hear that? You deserve wrath. I deserve wrath, but you don't have to get it. I'm going to say it again. You deserve wrath. I deserve wrath, but you don't have to get it. It can be easy to get stuck and say, see, yeah, God's this angry God and he just wants to punish people. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's a lot more to the story. He always made a way for people who would listen and learn from him to say, you don't have to pay the price. I'll accept the blood of these animals and then one day I'm going to send myself. You can say his son, but it's God himself came down and became the propitiation for your sin and my sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, everybody listen. For all, say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what we've been saying over and over, right? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance or patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does he say? Everybody sinned. Every single one of us. We've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But he's saying that he was going to come and be the sacrifice, the offering that takes away wrath. He was going to be the one who is just, who's righteous, and he's going to be the one who's the justifier, who's going to make the relationship right. Isn't that crazy? We also need to learn this. Jesus felt every pain for you to avoid wrath. He didn't just snap his fingers and say, oh, it's forgotten. He said the price has to be paid because sin deserves death. Sin deserves punishment. The price has to be paid. I can't just look the other way. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. 
says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation, there's that word again, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, Jesus went through every form of temptation while he walked this earth. He went through the pain of separation. He went through the pain of loneliness. He went through fear. He went through even worry. It, it, you know, he went through struggles with wondering what was going to happen. And ultimately, he bore it all, everything on the cross. So even if he didn't go through every single temptation that has ever existed, I believe he went through every type. And ultimately, he bore the pain of every sin that we committed. He was innocent, but we committed. He went through all of it on the cross. He went to no limit to be the offering that takes away the wrath of God from you and me. That's big. He goes on. The next idea we need to learn is this. Everybody do something for me. Everybody sit up. Take a deep breath. And you may not know the person sitting beside you, but I want you to just kind of give them a little gentle nudge in the ribs. Because I want you to make sure they hear this next part. All right, settle down. Settle down. <laughs> you listen? No one. Say no one. No one is too sinful to receive this offering. No one is too sinful to receive this offering. Yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know what my family's like. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I've said about people. You don't know the people that I've hurt. You don't know the lies that I've told. You just don't know. No one. No one is too sinful to receive this offering. It's not just for the good ones, because guess what? There are no good ones. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous he is the propitiation for our sins, the offering that takes away wrath, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, Jesus didn't just die for the people who were good. He didn't just die for the people who were religious. He didn't just die for the people who could fake it till they make it and make everybody think they've got it all together. He didn't just die for the people who would attend church and have perfect attendance. He didn't just die for the people that looked the same way. And he didn't just die for just anybody. He died for everybody. But the question is, are you going to receive the blessings of this offering that takes away wrath Nobody's too sinful to receive this offering. This offering should change us. Here at our church, and a lot of churches say something to this effect. We say it a lot. Jesus changes everything. And it's easy to say, and it's another thing to believe. Because some of us sit in here week after week, or we sit at home, or we sit in our car, 
and we think, yeah, Jesus can change everything, but I don't know if he can change me. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, he says, in this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we... If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What he's saying is he's writing to people who were Christians, and he's saying, look, you need to know how, how to love, and God has shown us that through Jesus. He's the one who came as the offering to take away wrath, and it needs to change the way you relate to other people. We talk about it all the time, but our world has gotten more divided, more angry, more reactionary than ever before over these last two years. Am I being truthful? There's so much hate, there's so much rage, there's so much anger, there's so much unforgiveness. There's so much, you better come crawling to me and beg and I'm going to make you twist and then I'm just going to spit on you when you're down. There's so much of that and we as the church, if you are a Christian or if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, we're called to be different. We're called to love like God has loved us and we've got the ultimate example. He laid his life down for us. And this is how we know what love is. We see it in Jesus. We see it how God sent him to be the propitiation. He's the offering that takes away wrath. And there's a big glaring point that I don't want us to miss. As you can kind of infer this. Forgive me if I didn't use that correctly. I think I did. If, God hasn't, if God's love hasn't caused us to love one another, what does that mean? Do we really know the love of God if it hasn't caused us to love one another? Maybe not. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be Christians, but don't really know the love of God, I'll be honest, we need to be afraid. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, he's writing to Christians, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. It was strict. Listen to verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was outraged and has outraged the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people now listen to this it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God Man, I'm just really preaching a really good touchy-feely message today aren't I <laughs> but I would be remiss if I don't point out the fact that if we continually, once we become a follower of Jesus, just continually reject Him, it's a horrible, terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God because His grace is so sufficient. He wants to free us. He doesn't want to punish us. How dare we reject Him and treat His blood as an unholy thing? The truth is, is that you and I don't have to face the wrath of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. And think about what He's saying here in Hebrews how much of a slap in the face 
is it to Jesus to reject his sacrifice? See, he did it all to spare you from the wrath that his righteousness demands. For 1,500 years, God had said to his people, Israel, and this is a paraphrase, this is from the Bobby version. He said, I'll accept the blood of these animals for a while until you're sick of blood. Until you just see that blood over and over and over and over again. And you wonder, you even start to wonder if all this blood has been for nothing. I mean, why have we sacrificed all these animals? What's going on here? And then, he says, I'll come. He says, I'll come. And I'll be the lamb. He says, I'll be the lamb. My blood will pay the price. The blood of these animals was just promissory notes. But when I pay with my blood, the debt will be paid in full. So live like it. So live like it. Be free. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to fall. We talked about that last week in depth. Yes, you're going to get knocked down and you're going to want to wallow in your own ways. But get up and run because the mercy and the grace of God, the offering that takes away wrath, is enough for everybody. And there is forgiveness in Jesus. So what do we do? To quote a philosopher, how shall we then live? Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, if you back up, this is what preceded this passage we just read. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. All right, y'all remember? Y'all remember what we talked about earlier about the veil that kept everybody except the high priest out of the holy place to the mercy seat, the, the propitiation top? Remember that? He said, Now, guess what? We can do what? Hello! We in here. We can enter into the holy place. And you know the crazy thing, y'all? The crazy thing is we act like it's nothing. We act like it's nothing. We don't get excited that if you're a believer, if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, we don't get excited that we walk around in the presence of God. And we forget the power that is right here in us and among us and around us. And man, it says in verse 19, it says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain, that is his flesh. That curtain, the day that Jesus died, it ripped, it said, from top to bottom. Nothing pulled on it on this earth. God ripped that veil open so that the open way was there to the presence of God. Verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, like that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, we've got to realize we have got the greatest blessing in the entire world. Anything that we could ever dream. It's bigger than that. Because Jesus has given us an entry into the presence of God. We live in the presence of God. 
And so we need to every day be encouraging and stirring one another up so that we don't reject the living God and have to face the wrath of God without the covering of Jesus. It's my prayer that the church would not just be a place that we come, but that it would be a body that we are. And that yes, we gather together and we sing praises to God and we meet around the table and remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we listen to his word and we share his word and we smile and we pat each other on the back. But I hope and I pray that if we're going to be the body that when we leave, we also carry the gospel of Jesus with us and that we gather together when we can throughout the week because we need one another. Because he said, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching because one day Jesus will come back and he will not delay. People will mock right now and they'll say, oh, he's never coming back. It's been 2,000 years. But he does that because he loves us. And he's being patient and he wants as many people as who will accept him to come. And so he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. But are we telling? And are we loving? And are we showing? Because we've given, been given entrance into the holy place of God. So celebrate his resurrection, not just one day a year, but every single day. Treasure the church, the body of Christ. Treasure the privilege of gathering together with the church. And treasure, everybody, wake up. Treasure the privilege and the opportunity to love people and to do good works for Him, for His glory. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. And sometimes when you give, people are going to be all too willing to take. And sometimes they're going to slap you in the face. But I seem to remember Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. And love people in a way that looks crazy to this world. And here's the big thing. If I can get myself here and if I can help you get here, it's this. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remind yourself that you used to be outside the veil and you could not get through. You could not get through, but Jesus came and tore the veil, and now you can enter in with confidence. And when you remember that, it will bring joy to your salvation. It won't be drudgery to go to church. It will not be, you know, sleep help to listen to me. It will be joy because you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So remind yourself of the joy of your salvation that once you were lost, but now you were found. Once you were blind, but now you see.
don't have a church home, are you all in with our church? We've got some cards that are on the back that we some people filled out last week. We had 11 people last week say they were all in with Move a Church last week. That is amazing. And we have many more who said, I'm taking a step towards that. And that's the thing. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what's my next move? Am I, do I need to get involved in a connect group? Do I need to get involved in, in discipleship so I can learn more about Jesus? Do I need to decide, okay, I need to give back from what God's given me? Or, or many other things. And take a moment and fill that card out. You can wander around because here's what we're going to do. Over these next few moments, we want to take the Lord's Supper communion together. If you don't have emblems, they're right behind this middle section on two little trays. You can get up and get those. You can get one of those cards. You to think about for a moment what has Jesus done for me and when you see those emblems you see that little wafer on top when you peel back that first layer you remember the body of Jesus you peel back that second layer and you remember the blood of Jesus because he is the propitiation he is the offering that takes away wrath salvation or give you the courage to become a Christian, to take that step and follow Jesus, to step out or to say, I'm going to be all in and I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ that changes this world because he has taken away wrath and you don't have to face it anymore. sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement in